local city of Fantasy Podcast about rugby. Surprise, surprise, it has happened. Ben is unavailable due to family commitments. Matt is currently traveling back from Seoul from what we can assume is another epic party. Alex is at a family bribe post rugby and is double booked. And Phil is literally in Japan. He sent us an uh, out and about with his boots, Alex. Uh, of what they've been up to in the land of the rising sun, so he's not around. Therefore, it is with great trepidation that this will be the first ever elite rugby banter one-man pod. But fear not. Compared to the regular shit show that is our preparation, I've actually gone to some effort to ensure that this will be an episode packed with information. The insight is up to you. Don't worry, details is here. Since this is a rare occasion, my views won't be contradicted. For all of you listeners out there, I'd like to state it here for the record once and for all. I do not support the Bulls. I'm a Lions fan, and if any of Alex, Ben, Matt, Phil, or Ant say otherwise, uh, I know my, I'm outnumbered here, they're telling lies. I know you came here to find out this puzzle of fact beyond the actual Rugby World Cup, so you can check that box. Oh, I should also add, uh, I was not floored by a single glass of wine last week. Uh, good job to us, by the way, for the, for the episode. It was a goodie. I did actually listen to it this time. It was due to tequila, uh, far too much of it. On Saturday, that really knocked me out. Nausea and me having one too many at bedfellows, uh, where I'm concerned. So times were tough. Right. Uh, look, since uh, it's just going to be me, I doubt this will be the full two hours. But uh, we've got a running order here for you. So first, we're going to do some news. It's mostly Rugby World Cup related, but a couple of things have been happening in the background. Then we'll be hearing from Phil uh, with uh, Phil. I heard filled in with Phil. I think it might be called something else. But uh, fill in with Phil. I'm not sure. I was going to say filled up, but he it's uh, he's not a car. Uh, he watched England thump Australia in the quarterfinal in Oita and then proceeded to see fr- France do what France do uh, by making the World Cup just a little bit more controversial in throwing away a win against Wales. Then, um, let's see here. We will look at England's uh, very impressive performance against Australia. This will be followed by New Zealand's best performance arguably since the last World Cup. As Ireland's groggy tournament came to a close. Uh, then we'll cover the Welsh's nail brighting victory over France. And then naturally this will be followed by South Africa's hard fought yet in the end. Mostly comfortable victory against a resident Japan. So let's begin with the news. Hot off the presses, Michael Chaker has resigned as Wallabies coach. Following Australia's loss to England on Saturday. Chaker, who said it was cruel. I don't know if Ben would agree. But a journalist asked him about his future after the defeat. Chaker also said that he had no relationship with Rugby Australia, Chief Executive Radian Castle, and Chairman Cameron Klein. And I quote from Stuff that's here today. It is no secret I have no relationship with this year and not much with the Chairman Chaker said. I knew from the final whistle, but I just wanted to give it that little bit time to cool down, talk to my people, and then make it clear. In the post-match, he also dropped an F-bomb, saying I'm fucking disappointed. Uh, nice one, Michael. Classic choker. His rages and epoch-setting table slaps with someone on Twitter noted yesterday, they will be missed. Though I'm not too sure much else of the man will be. Reportedly, former Chiefs coach and Glasgow Warriors coach Dave Rennie is the favourite for the role. Second, uh, there were rumours Israel Falau and Australia were coming to some agreement a few weeks ago, but that they were just that. Rumours. Falau, as is his want, has stated that he knew his social media posts telling gay people that they were going to hell was offensive, uh, but he said he'd absolutely do it again. This was according to AFP. Uh, Flyer was a guest last weekend at the Australian Christian Lobby Annual Conference, where he was interviewed on stage. To quote from AFP, I knew it was going to be offensive to a lot of people, and ultimately the post was a message of love. All right, let's leave the paradox 
in those two statements aside for now because Fly also said he was not prepared for the consequences of his actions. To quote again, my intentions around posting that and sharing the trust of what the scriptures say, I didn't think it was going to come to a point where I'm in the situation now. Maybe Australia contract was torn up. Uh, Fly, as we all know, is not claiming 10 million Australian dollars. Also, if we're including lost sponsorships and marketing opportunities, this is also why the Australian Christian lobby has also raised more than 2 million Australian dollars to fund his defense. Uh, the matter is likely to be settled in court in February unless an agreement is struck in December during ar- arbitration. It's a hateful message. There's nothing more than that. And uh, I, I sincerely hope that he doesn't get a cent. There's no place for his type of views um, in the game of rugby or frankly elsewhere. Right, moving back to the field. Former Lions coach Swayze Brand, he resigned from the Johannesburg franchise a few weeks ago with his struggles with anxiety-related issues, uh, as we previously mentioned here. Last week, I know Alex Ben and Phil, they hoped he would find something where he could channel his passion for the game. So it is surprising that he is going somewhere. But what is surprising is that he is going to be a coaching consultant for the Southern Kings. This is according to a statement from the Kings. Uh, De Bruyne started his new role uh, this Friday, uh, October 17th, ahead of the Kings Tour to Europe. He will be working closely with the coaching team, Robbie Kenson, uh, Vuyo Zanka, and Bram van Straten. We're excited as well to Brand joining the Susie Southern Kings as a coaching consultant. Southern Kings chairman, uh, Luisa Dothwana, confirmed in the statement. While still taking part in the professional game, I guess this position appears to suit the brain, since he won't be on the front line per se, fielding questions from the media and under scrutiny by the fans. Here, I assume he will do what he does best, which is coach rugby. Uh, as ERB, we hope it works out for him. And if he, if, if he could also help out the South African under 20s, uh, that would be nice to know those the guys mentioned last week on the pod. You see, I, I did listen. Cool. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for the non rugby World Cup segment of the show, kind of. And I mentioned Jaker. And the news part, anyway. Let's move straight into um, Phil and Phil, who watched the Australia versus England and France versus Wales games. Uh, here's Phil, all the way from Japan. Good evening. This is Phil from coming to you live from Beppu in the south of Japan. We have just witnessed South Africa beat Japan, uh, not at the stadium because that was up in Tokyo, but uh, was at France against Wales earlier. And we also got to see England demolish Australia yesterday. So this will be a very brief session of for me in um, just because I could have timed this better and obviously as Japan have beaten South Africa the and the night is still young, we have to go out and celebrate and go find somewhere to really enjoy the win. Um, but still saying that, just an update on how things are going so far. Japan is amazing as you would expect, I think. Um, amazing hosts, amazing people. So we were watching, because we came back from the France-Wales match um, in a rush, we found the first place we could with a TV to watch South Africa Japan and we were in a tiny little bar with maybe two Japanese people, two French people, a lot of Australians and like a thousand Welshmen and let's just say that uh, Japanese people are like a thousand times better than any of those other nationalities and there was one other South African there to be fair but he was like Australian South African so it hardly counts. Um, yeah, the matches have been amazing. So, Maybe a appearance from Alex. Woohoo! <laughs> that is Alex. So in the Oita Stadium, uh, it's been closed with the roof and it creates like the most amazing atmosphere. Everything is so loud, like even when it's 
Uh, so, for example, today France played Wales and they were probably like 10% of the stadium was French people. But when they get the, got their chants going, it sounded like, you know, at least half of the stadium was full of French people chanting. But um, obviously they were let down in the end. But uh, yeah, I guess starting from the beginning, yesterday's match, I'm sure you'll hear from everyone else that it's going to or they'll, they'll go into a bit more analysis on it. But uh, England were just far too good for Australia. Australia made too many mistakes. Um, just, I guess, significantly in our corner of the stadium where we were, Anthony Watson was really impressive in the first half where he made sort of two clean breaks on Corobetti, like right in front of us. Uh, didn't really result in anything too significant, but it was r really impressive. and. Obviously, Farrell was super classy, and despite, and I guess in the losing performance, Corbetti's breaks looked pretty good. His one try, his one, um, his one disallowed try, and Pocock was a menace at the breakdown. But England looked really strong, and I think the All Blacks will have much more of a contest, obviously. So that New Zealand Ireland game was heavily disappointing, but. Um, I think it's worth saying that it seems like the Japanese people love New Zealand like more than in terms of the neutral games. They just loved everything that was happening in that game from a New Zealand perspective. So I don't know if we've done enough to sort of turn over that neutral tide so much. But we'll see, hopefully, in the final when it comes to that. And then today's game, France-Wales, wow, it was it was so French. Um, yeah, again, you guys will get to it, but started so well. But the game was messy. They it was not Wales's game. Like they obviously would like to keep it organized and slow and defensive, but France managed to keep it alive, got up to an early 12-0 lead, but then just gave the ball away so much and like didn't sort of stay secure in contact. And and then obviously the idiotic uh, red card from Vaha Mahina. <laughs> I may have done an Adam on that one. But um yeah, that was just stupid and that it only allowed Wales back into it because then they still couldn't but I think the French scrum just struggled there were two crucial scrums which they lost including the last one with that potentially dodgy forward pass I mean everyone in the stadium close to us sort of was confused and thought that it was forward only for the the TMO decision to go the other way because we can't hear what the TMO is saying so yeah and then and then obviously the South Africa-Japan game. I won't touch on too much because I could go into, in, go into it a lot, but hugely frustrating in the first half. But I, I think it was just a little bit more clinical in the second half. And it was to be expected the way that the forwards just sort of dominated and almost strangled the Japanese pack into submission and allowed or paved the way for the winning. And Fust's try was probably the only like really spectacular try, which was nice to see. And... Um, I know that Alex is heading on Vili already, but Vili's my boy, and Vili was okay. He did Vili stuff, but he, he also made a huge hit that was impressive. I don't know if I've ever hit, seen Vili make a tackle that big before, so cut him some slack in your ratings, Alex. Um, and yeah, I'll just sign off by saying Japan's been amazing. We've tried all sorts of amazing food. The people are so accommodating, and we are just getting started. We're moving up to Hiroshima tomorrow. Um, that should be amazing. We've only been in Osaka and Beppu so far. One in capsule hotels, the other in a sort of guest house staying in um, dormitories. But it's just been so great. So, yeah, check you next week on the next Fill Me In.
Nice. Uh, nice, Phil. Uh, I think uh, the fact that our Patreon subscribers paid for your trip overseas uh, is uh, really nice. I'm glad you're enjoying it. I- I'm just glad that also that we're getting our, our just comeuppance for at least reporting back for funding you. I know uh, it's Japan's not a cheap place. Uh, but uh, most importantly, I'm glad you're having an awesome time. Uh, and I'm sure the others when they're back for next week's pod, they will be able to stay the same. The atmosphere did look before. That, that's all I can say. Uh, Phil, he's also been sending messages in the group showing what he and, and Alex have been up to. Uh, looks great. And, and my brother, he's also been to Japan a couple of times and he speaks very highly of it. Uh, so, um, Phil and Alex, damn you. Uh, we're all very jealous, but look forward to some more Brian Fantana front line in the field reporting. So, on to the games itself and England. They're beginning to look like a big threat to the All Blacks, aren't they? Well, they did until All Blacks Charles Island. Eddie Jones' team has been a bit scratchy at times this tournament thus far. But personally speaking, I always felt that they were on the upward trend and their performances against Australia shows that I was right in my own head anyway. England profited off some of Australia's mistakes, but were very impressive defensively, depending if the areas Australia made were self-induced or forced. Uh, I tend to inclined to the latter and often they were able to exploit the space on the outside for their lethal back three johnny may picked up a brace and anthony watson was excellent spinning out of tackles and being notoriously hard to bring down it ends up try really at the end was the icing on the cake uh, Eddie Daly had a he had a bit more of a quieter game at the back and his knock-on did lead to marika corabetti's excellent try but he's a vital component of the english back line and has gas to burn Manitoulou, he's been injured for a while in and out the team but uh, if you looked at him yesterday it looked like he'd never been missing Big, strong, he came with purpose and he always got England over the game line, even on defence, especially in that first uh, quarter where Australia were playing some of their best rugby. He did put in some very big tackles. Henry Slam was solid, uh, but his kicker set up Farrell's try was probably uh, the best moment of the game for him, I must say. O'Farrell himself, he was really good, uh, I must say. I'm not the biggest fan of him, for to state obvious reasons, that and his shoulder. But he passed well, he kicked well, distributed nicely, and uh, which he isn't really known for. And then also Ben Young's is, uh, number nine had probably one of his best games of the tournament. I think that being said, while England's backs did what was necessary, they have a huge task um, ahead of them. Uh, I think this performance will be a, a very nice marker to put down. I think England's backs can dish out a huge thank you to their pack. While I know the scrums are a little bit inconsistent, the Wallabies just couldn't get parity in the collisions. And with Sam Underhill and Tom Curry, the go-to men always harassing the breakdowns and making tackles, the work rate was there. Um, which I don't think the Australians in their entirety could really match. Uh, they also, the tackle rate was immense, and, that, and that's the way they're the platform that the rest of the pack work for. And also across the board, most of them were excellent. And uh, Carl Sinclair's try, I mean, bursting through a gap like a centre, uh, to scream it over was probably the best pop, pop try of the tournament. I'm sure Matt was uh, humming in his sleep somewhere. In the work clinical, but uh, they also showed a bit of nuance, uh, especially they kept getting around Australia's outside and the edges. So I think next week's game against New Zealand, it's going to be absolutely epic. I think a lot of people are talking about it being a final and a final. Uh, or, excuse me, a semi-final and a final. I don't think that's entirely untrue, but um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be very, very interesting. I know I'm looking forward to it. That game, I think, is the Saturday semi-final. Uh, for Australia, yeah, they, they flattered to deceive. I think I think Squidge noted in one of his videos when Australia beat New Zealand in Perth that their style of rugby is high tempo, high skill based. When it does come off, they're incredibly hard to look at. And if at times in those first 10 15 minutes against England, uh, they looked very, very good. And while there were flashes of that, well, I think uh, Mariki Korobiti's try being one of the more learning examples of, of end result, they just didn't quite have the potash 
to execute consistently with England uh, feeding off their mistakes. Among Australia's best performers were Jordan Pattaya. He, he looked really good. Uh, also a lot bigger than I thought he was. He's only 19. And he, I, I felt he was also a lot better than some of more of the experienced colleagues in the Australian backline. If you can have a more consistent injury-free Super Rugby next year, he's a guy the Wallabies can start building their team around. Uh, Rick Corey he was probably the best Wallaby back on the park. Kenny Tackles, uh, his trial was excellent, as I said. Always looking for work. And... Um, I just, yeah, I think he was just there. Uh, the hunger was there. I know we've given him a ton of shit here on ERB, but he really has hit a stride this World Cup. So uh, maybe someone will actually draft him next year. Cody Beal, someone I've always had a soft spot for. He he had some bright moments, but overall didn't quite blow the lights out. Uh, I wonder if Dan Petty might not have been a slightly better choice. Uh, will Genia, he also had his up and downs to the game, but towards the end he faded when Nick White uh, rightfully came on. Uh, while Simon Karevi also tried his damnedest to get to, to uh, get his team going forward, but English defence kept a very close eye on him. Uh, Afraid Aysen Asarani, he was industrious. Uh, Those knock-on when it was 24-16 near the line was a crucial moment, I felt, in the game. If Australia scored there, then the cap was still very much amongst the pigeons. I think his captain, Mark, he was probably Australia's best forward, forcing a couple of turnovers, made a, a ton of tackles, as he always does, and also being a good source of go forward. Uh, also, his strength in the tackle, particularly if he's being hit by a bigger guy, is always surprising to me. However, you couldn't do it alone. And as the last games go for both Genia and David Pocock, two modern-day wannabe greats, I guess they would have hoped for more. Pocock, he hasn't played much rugby this year. Uh, no, Genia, he was in tears at the end. That's how much he meant it. And, and um, I think in Pocock's case, with attacking teams swarming the breakdown, making life very difficult for Jackals, uh, he hasn't really had as much influence uh, as he used to um, in the game itself. As I said, he, he's barely played in rugby this year. I know he got well, he did rip one, um, but across the tournament, uh, he just wasn't as effective as he was hoped. So, um, yeah, both living Aussie legends, uh, they're going to walk into the sunset. So I guess we need to wish them goodbye. I have a feeling there might be a few others uh, that might say goodbye as well. Jordan Lisa came on. I think it's important to mention that. Draft 2020, here we come. And uh, also, yeah, Jordan Pattaya, as I said, he's mine for the draft. So, that's the first quarterfinal between um, England and Australia setting themselves up for what was meant to be New Zealand. But I guess the question before that game was, 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 I was trying to think. Oh, between a colleague and I, we, we were chatting about, oh no, we were backing Ireland to <laughs> somehow turn it on, even though they'd be a player or tournament. So could they really step up? Could Ireland really make the difference? They've beaten the All Blacks a couple of times ago, uh, times um, two years ago, beat them in Chicago, beat them in Dublin. Uh, those are the thoughts. But unfortunately, it turned out something like this. No, God, please, no, 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 no. What a performance from New Zealand. No team on the planet would have been able to live with them. And for an Irish team that has struggled to hit its traps, simplified by Johnny Sexton's one shocking penalty touch kick that was a meter or two inside the field in the second half, and the first one uh, that was kept in by Mitchie Moranga, which I think maybe was one of the turning points of the game, along with Conor Murray, Murray knocking on a wraparound in the second half, something he's meant to be, you know, does in his sleep. Ireland were never really at the races. It was a sad end for Ireland stalled Rory Best. Um, this is his last test match. But when you see it in this sort of mood, what can one do? I think two years ago, Ireland were at the peak of the game, and I think we're justifiably number one in the world. But their, their game plan, which is very boiled down to it, quite simple. It really relies on pure execution, multiple phase play, keeping the ball, and team synchronicity, and um, 
a little bit like South Africa defensively, but naturally they don't play such a high-risk, high-reward sort of game. But um, I know in those big choose over New Zealand, they both games were tight. I think the game where they won 69 against New Zealand is the only time that New Zealand have been kept under under 10 in like for years. Um, and so also their defense is a key pillar of the game. With their attack, I think maybe arguably even more one-dimensional than South Africans. Uh, it was never really ready to be challenged by what the dynamism that the All Blacks brought into it. I mean, the All Blacks were just simply outstanding. They've, they've I don't know, maybe Italy were lucky that their game, I know Sergio Paris would have disagreed with that, but maybe they were lucky that that game got postponed. I think Ireland at their best would have struggled to deal with this New Zealand team, but, but now at off-peak, they were silently beaten by the World Cup favourites, as we saw. But the Aki suspension did mean that Ireland lost some power in midfield, and while Gary Ringrose and Robbie Henshaw tried manfully, uh, with Henshaw getting Ireland's lone player try at the Cedar Sunday, overall they outmatched. For New Zealand, between Richie Munger and Bowden Barrett, it seems the All Blacks are finally getting some reward with persevering with their 2-10 strategy. I think added to this return of Brady Vitalik has been a huge win for Steve Hansen and his team. Artie vs. Artie Sevier was again at, at, at to his standard, which is just getting over the game line, running over Oaks, linking up play when the chance comes, and crashing it up. I think one thing that I found very interesting was, uh, I think the commentators made note of it, and why why do we have to listen to the African commentary team? That, that was very interesting. Uh, it was when they took off Sam Kane early in the second half. I think the game was already gone, and they brought on Scott Barrett. So maybe losing a little bit of mobility, but bringing a bit more of a hard edge and size. See, that is true. I just wonder if All Blacks weren't really planning for England. Uh, personally, my favorite player on the park was Aaron Smith. He, he's a marvel to watch for me. He was fantastic. He just makes that All Black team hum. I'd say he makes it hum. As for Reed Dupree, kind of made the box tick like a clock. Aaron Smith just makes them makes them run like a high-speed washing machine. Okay, not not the best metaphor, but they, he just goes round and round. From his pass, to his box kicking, to his very fucking irritating shouting at the referee all the time. He's always in his ear. Uh, his try uh, really set off the massacre to come. That came with some excellent work by Kieran Reid, who has finally hit his straps at the right time. Joe Moody, he was a menace, carrying strongly while George Bridge and Savory's uh, blithe and no number of combined caps with a mature performance, with Bridge's try just reward for the effort he had put in. Anton Leonard Brown being chosen at 12, I know was a bit of a talking point for the game, um, and even before Tim and Rico Oani, where are they? But nobody's missing Ryan Crotty and Rico Oani right now. Uh, maybe Ryan comes back for the next game, I'm not sure. But but ALB and Jack who combining so well with, uh, I mean, ALB's just carrying excellent form. That he's had from the Super APC. He's in a good hue. He's also just uh, very direct in his play. And getting over the game line. Linking up play. They were both very, very good. Um, I wouldn't call them Smith Nonu-esque as yet. But there's something very much uh, complimentary about them. So guys, the All Blacks. They're favourites to everyone. Uh, they are going to be very, very hard to stop. Uh, right. So let's, let's move on to then the, qu- the quarterfinal that took place this morning. That would be Wales being very, very lucky and coming home. 2019 winners over France. Um, yeah, it, it was most, most irritating. France were leading 19-10 at halftime. Um, especially with, I'd probably say, uh, Antoine Dupont of France at nine. He had a very good game. He was very, very good. But uh, he with Roman uh, Intermac. And also, I'm just trying to find the... Uh, yeah, I mean, Charles Olivier, he went over for the post uh, as well. Yeah, I think the moments of madness that really crossed, cost France was Sebastian 
for Hamahina, who was sent off for elbowing Aaron Wainwright in the face nine minutes into the second half. I mean, in the ruck, he had his like hand near his Wainwright's face. So he pulls it away, and then with the cameras on him, he just elbows him in the face. And even though this is after he scored a very good try in the first half, when when France blew out to total their lead, he ends up getting sent off, which changes the whole complexion of the game. The fact that France managed to keep the lead till the 74th minute when Ross Moriarty went over for the try um, after a French scrum went backwards kind of is a testament to the fact that, again, they've thrown away a game that they should have won. Even Warren Gatlin said they're the best team on the day. Uh, actually lost. Apart from Dan Bigar's 10 points, France looked much the better with the only try for Wainwright, who I must say has got a lot more pace than I thought he did, coming over from turnover ball. Uh, I think as, as Warren Gatlin says, I think the better team lost today, but that red card was obviously significant, but credit to the players, I'm really proud of the fact they never gave up and kept fighting and found a way to win. Other teams would have probably capitulated. I think if you were to ask me who I'd rather play between France and Wales in the next game, um, I'm actually more comfortable playing Wales, oddly enough, after seeing that performance. Uh, they, that, I feel like they've gotten worse. They were very good against Australia, but they really haven't stepped up all that much ever since. Uh, I mean, Dan Bigger, I know he nearly missed the game. I guess they did lose out, but with Jonathan Davis also being pulled from the game. But right now, they don't seem to have as much cutting edge as I thought they did uh, in particular. So I think they really do rely uh, a lot on um, shit. Gareth Davis. That's it. I think they rely a lot on him to really set the direction. I mean, Josh Adams is a very decent furniture as well, but Owen, Owen Watkin doesn't really measure up to Jonathan Davis. I'm sure they're hoping he's going to get back uh, as well. And uh, for France, I think it's just an opportunity missed as well. I, I unfortunately didn't miss the second half. I just had to uh, take care of a personal errand. But first half was a fantastic game uh, as well. So Welsh, very, very lucky to get through. But, you know, you can only beat who's put in front of you. So and, uh, just that red card. It was so, so stupid. But I guess Wales gets some revenge back for Sam Warburton being sent off in the 2011 quarter uh, semi-final against France. Which, uh, right, France and last but not least, I guess we're going to move on to South Africa's nail-biting victory over Japan in the quarterfinals. That's just been recently completed. But you wouldn't know about it, looking at the score, 26-3. I don't think that's a fair reflection of the game at all. South Africa only led 5-3 <coughs> Excuse me, at half-time following Mpimpi's try in the first five minutes. Uh, Wayne Barnes, a little bit inconsistent, refusing to call for the TMO. Look, in fairness, he was consistent, but a couple of times where South Africa surely would have been uh, awarded a yellow card with a Japanese player offending. I think in particular it was Jason Colby who got an eye in the face. Also, uh, due to Matsushima himself taking out the pimpy in the air, nothing was made. Uh, very inconsistent. I, I guess Wayne Barnes really wanted to follow his own way, which I expect in a sense, and maybe if they'd had a look at when Beastman Tawera was yellow carded for tipping his man through the horizontal, that might have resulted in something worse, but very inconsistent with World Rugby's guidelines. Look, but that being said, South Africa toughed it out. They were pretty shit in the first half. Look, the defense held a, a little bit of a similar pattern was seen when South Africa faced Japan in their warm-up game before the World Cup, where the Japanese put South Africa under a huge amount of pressure, but South Africa's defense again managed to hold. So maybe that's the ultimate story from that perspective. But look, Japan were very good. Very, very good. But I think second half after Rassi Rassens pretty much told the team, in particular Fatu Klerk, I know some people have said maybe they aim to add into my reserve man of the match, but Pimpi, you could see in that second half Fatu Klerk how he slowed everything down with those first two penalties 
and then gradually South Africa took hold of the game. They were uh, signs that they were going to be the better team over the course of the match in the first half. It was just execution was absolutely shocking. The second half, the South Africans really buckled down and got it done, including that mall try that eventually led to Fafi Kluk going over. That went probably the equivalent of 50 meters. Truly outstanding. I was just looking at the WhatsApp group here with all the others and uh, quotes by Ben saying filth and Alex going Jesus and so on and so forth. I'm sure Matt, Matt was just sitting somewhere touching God at that point. The forward player was so beautiful. Uh, overall, from a South African perspective, not a great performance. Second half was good. Uh, second half, I'm probably married to the 7 out of 10, 7.5 out of 10. Pollard's kicking needs to be a bit better. First half was, frankly, very poor. We played like that against Wales. I know they didn't shoot the light out, lights out against France earlier today. But the fact of the matter is, we can't afford to make those sort of errors against uh, these sides remaining in this tournament. Wales... Weirdly enough, their style of play might suit us a little bit better. They don't really play at 300 miles an hour as do the Japanese. But they're a very well-coached side. They take advantage of errors, and they've got Dogham, and they know their way uh, around the try line, uh, certainly. So South Africa can't afford to play the way. And against England and New Zealand, uh, yeah, uh, good luck. South Africa going to be absolutely turned into mincemeat. So, yeah, as I noted, Patrick Clerk, probably the most influential player uh, on the pitch. CEO was all right. Even Etzebeth got through a tower of work. Uh, hopefully, Bongi comes through as a Ches and Colby. He did come off the field towards the end of that game. I think mainly just to nurse his ankle after it got twisted. Uh, as I said, the players should maybe in a yellow card evolved in that. My Pepe was very good. I think justifying Razi Rasmus's faith in him. I know there's been a lot of chatter that someone like Sabu and Corsi, there's a lot of people who like what Sabu and Corsi does with the ball in hand. But Mpipi, I think, justified it. Scored a very nice physical try. It was very good on defense. Challenged in the air. Though, I guess, uh, overall, from a from a, a Rusty Rasmus perspective, the, our contests in the air weren't great. Uh, Pollard was, was pretty good. Colby, again, for a man of his size, is clearly one of the best players in the air in the Springbok team. And from the center side, Damon Allen and Lekanya defensively, excellent. Allender was very good on the front football. I, look, most people disagreed with me in our WhatsApp group that... It wasn't a try. Uh, I felt it was. He wasn't held. He didn't even crawl anything like that. I, I don't know. I guess some, some other people might disagree with me. Um, apart from butchering that one try, I felt it was probably one of his better front foot games. In a sense, it's due to the amount of space that's the South Africa's dominant pack were creating. And then you could see why Rasi Rasmus stacked the bench in a 6-2 fashion, bringing on the likes of Marks, Kitsov, Koch, Snayman. Snayman, you didn't see too much. Same as Mostat, Loda, Manny in the tight. But it was really that, those front row of Kitsov and Koch that uh, Erasmus has spent the last 12 to 18 months really building that sort of depth and then bringing in marks as well. That's really beginning to pay off in these latter stages of the game when the team's starting to run, run out of a bit of steam and South Africa can maybe possibly claim to be the most powerful pack in the competition. From a Japanese side, I think it will be a case, particularly in that first half of what if, if they had managed to score a try or two, then maybe the whole complexion of the game would have changed. Uh, Lapis Abiskachny, he was pretty good. Michael Lech left from the front. Uh, Nagara is probably the most influential player, particularly when his pack was under pressure at scrum time. But uh, mostly, I guess you, you'd probably say just congratulations to Japan for getting so far, uh, all things considered. No one thought they first of all uh, win the group. They did. I think second place is always uh, up and at it. They certainly deserve to top the group. Uh, having beaten Scotland and Ireland as the best teams of the day. But ultimately, when they face a team as big and large, as structured and steamroller-like as South Africa, I think the rubber really hit the road and reality came dawning uh, upon Japan. But a great, a great platform for the Japanese to move forward 
in future World Cups. It'll be very interesting to know also how things progress at the Sunwolves next year. will be the last in the Super Rugby competition. So following that, also, will we see Japan in the Rugby Championship? Will Fiji be included? There are these sort of knock-on effects that might occur as a result of what has been a truly fantastic World Cup by the hosts. Uh, Matsushima, look, I'm <laughs> very lucky to not be yellowed, as I've said already. But ultimately, he had a very, very good World Cup. Uh, Ryoha Yamanaka wasn't that visible uh, at 15. And uh, Kuakua, he... Oh, please, me, excuse me. I think I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. Kenkai Fukuoka. There you go, the 11. I think apart from one break, he, he was kept under wraps. Uh, Yutamura, quiet as well. Him, no, a little bit quiet. This is understandable, given the South African pack. Uh, but yeah, I think, don't think the people of Japan can ask anything more. And I think when... Michael, Michael Lich was giving the post-match interview just uh, the way he was humiliated by the Japanese crowd. I think told you how much respect they had for his team. Uh, so South Africa march on. Um, if you had to ask me right now who would be favourites between Wales and South Africa, I would argue South Africa. I know there's a few dark horse faces uh, amongst uh, the group. These guys will be chatting here. But the tools are there. If we had taken our chances in the first half, South Africa would have been far more comfortable than they were at, at half-time. So the basics are there. I know Valilaru, I have a sneaky suspicion he's going to catch a lot of heat, particularly in the first half where a lot of his handling let us down. The second half, again, he just showed why he's such a vital part of the game plan. But we will see. I'm sure the debate occurring around the country at the moment is should Dame Willems come in, should Ches and Colby play at 15? Heck, even the other forward front, Stain. Uh, it rests where you trust but I think Valerie Rue he will be the man most under threat but let's be honest at this stage of the tournament with us this far deep we're very likely to see very little change alright well that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Elite Ravi Banter thank you so much for listening to me bleat on by myself for over 30 minutes well with Phil as well normal programming will resume next week uh, I'm not around unfortunately I'm at a wedding in Limpopo in the north uh, over the weekend, but I'm sure Alex, Ben, and Matt, they'll be around to keep you abreast of what's happening uh, across the rugby world, and more in particular in the Rugby World Cup. Uh, as you can hear, this is probably a slightly different sound file from the one I loaded yesterday. I must apologize for the confusion. Uh, thanks, Ben, also for spotting it out. Um, so yeah, if you uh, want to listen again, please do so. Otherwise, thank you for listening. We will see you on Sunday once more.